Welcome to this Pure Voice activity. To access the entire activity, including downloadable slides and transcript, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash MSR. This program has been supported by a grant from Gilead Sciences Incorporated. Welcome to this Pure Voice activity on antiretroviral therapy for people living with HIV. This activity comprises a series of five streaming episodes with Professor Anton Posniak. Hello, everybody. I'm Anton Posniak from the Chelsea and Westminster Hospital in London, the United Kingdom. And welcome to this streaming activity on managing people with HIV. We're going to review five patient scenarios, each focusing on specific challenges in selecting therapy while also considering quality of life. In our first episode, we're going to focus on a young man who's just tested positive for HIV. Now, learning that one's HIV positive is often a traumatic life event, and the decision to initiate antiretroviral therapy is a major life decision. This is David. He's age 30. He tested positive for HIV at a routine sexually transmitted disease checkup. He's asymptomatic, and he was referred for same-day ART, which is now becoming something that many of us are doing. He's full blood count, kidney function, liver function, lipids were all within normal limits, but we were waiting for his HIV RNA and his CD4 count because we wanted to do same-day treatment. We were also waiting for his hepatitis, antibody tests, and antigen tests. And the baseline resistance was sent off. Some randomized clinical trials have shown that if you start same-day ART, you increase the likelihood of a patient starting therapy, retaining them in care, and suppressing their virus. And also, you decrease the likelihood of loss to follow-up. So what about starting with three drugs? That's what most of us would do. There is a study called the FAST study using Bictegravir, FTC, and TAF, with about 80% of patients being undetectable at week 24. Obviously, the higher the viral load, the longer it takes to suppress the virus. People worry about is the resistance at baseline, but in this, there are only three patients with that. Only four were lost to follow up in the whole six months out of 112 patients in the study. So it looks like you can start same day therapy. And using FTC TAP, obviously, you cover hepatitis B until you get the results back. Now, what about two drug regimen? There was a good study called the STAT study, again, using rapid start, but this time just with two drugs, dolutegavir 3TC. And at 48 weeks, using the FDA snapshot, they had 76% chance of being undetectable. And the non-suppression rate by this related to having to modify the therapy because there were five patients who had hepatitis B and one patient had a 184V mutation against 3TC. But again, that's easy enough to modify when those results are back after one or two weeks. So David had some concerns. He said, I feel fine. I'm healthy. I look after myself. Why do I have to start treatment right away? Especially in David's case, when his CD4 count actually came back at 640. Well, I think that really we should discuss the advantages of antiretroviral therapy in terms of not developing opportunistic infections or other health issues, as well as normal life expectancy. But really, one of the major things about rapid start is to get the viral load undetectable because sexual transmission is not possible with an undetectable viral load. He also asked about telling his employer, well, it's pretty rare that you'd actually need to tell your employer. 
What about his partners? Well, that depends on obviously what he feels about that, which is the main consideration, but also where you are. There are some countries where there are policies which include partner notification as either voluntary or mandatory. So with David, what do we try and achieve? Obviously, viral suppression as quickly as possible, with a simpler regimen as possible, and obviously monitor for side effects. We counsel him about transmission while he's still viremic. We reassure him he can have all his dreams because his life expectancy should be normal if he takes his pills. And we have to outline all his next steps, especially making sure he takes his pills every day, that there are drug interactions. So he has to realize that if he takes any new drugs, recreational or over-the-counter drugs, he needs to make sure that we know about this. And there are resources online he can also check for himself. Most patients want to know about the potential for cure. So we keep this hope that research and investigations are going to lead us to that one day. And also that long acting drugs might become available. And in some countries, injectables every two months are. So in our next case, we'll explore options for a woman who's been living with HIV for many years. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode two, where we'll meet a woman who's been living with HIV for many years. So this is Carla, and she's aged 44, and she's had HIV now for 15 years. And the only other problem she's really had is low back pain, which has been constant for about 10 years now. She started antiretroviral therapy 12 years ago. Her CD4 then was 320 cells per mil and a viral load, 78,000 copies. And her baseline resistant was all wild type. And she was hep B immune, HLA B5701 was negative. So you can see at that time, a lot of options were available to her in terms of drugs. Her current regimen, however, is dolutegravir plus TDF and FTC. And she's been on that for three years. And prior to that, she had a Feverens with TDF and FTC. But she switched as she started to complain about recurrent bad dreams. She's on the combined oral contraceptive pill, and she's a little overweight with a BMI at 31, and she's been on a diet now for six months. She's lost about a kilogram so far. She occasionally drinks alcohol, but doesn't take recreational drugs. So her CD4 cell count is 620 when it's measured recently, and the viral load's been undetectable. She's got mild vitamin D deficiency. Her lipids are at the upper end of normal. And she's got some borderline spinal osteoporosis. And she's had recently some routine bloods for kidney, blood count, liver, which were all within normal limits. She really wants to think about switching to a new medication because if she stays on what she's on, it might be harder for her to lose weight. But she knows that all drugs have side effects. So she's a little bit unsure about what to do now. So is there a simpler plan for long-term success for her? I think the real thing to discuss with her is the fact that the regimen she's on is an excellent regimen. She will need, though, to change the TDF to TAF because if she switches to TAF, it will help in terms of her bones. TDF is associated with osteoporosis, and she's got borderline osteoporosis, so I would recommend that she switches that over. I would keep her on the dolutegravir, as it's very effective. She's on the oral contraceptive pill, so we wouldn't have to discuss the impact of dolutegravir on pregnancy, although now we know that it has minimal impact if taken in the first trimester. And I'd also talk to her that maybe she could have a single pill with an integrase in it, either dolutegravir plus 3TC, removing the TDF altogether, which would give her less renal and bone toxicity or switching her over to something like Bictegravir plus TAF plus FTC. 
we'd have to reassure about a weight gain. And most of the data on weight gain, if you're switching, is that you don't gain very much weight at all. And in fact, a lot of the issues about weight gain are the fact that some of the drugs we take away, we're actually suppressing weight. I think one of the big concerns for me is that she is worried about being on the regimen she's on and also worried about switching. So this may take some time. There's no urgency to switch this lady, but I think that you can outline the next steps and move very slowly with her and make sure she's confident that the next choice of regimen is actually her choice based on what you've discussed with her. In the next case, we're going to explore options for a man with HIV who's now got COVID-19. Hello, everybody. Our next patient is right from the headlines. He's HIV positive and now has COVID-19 as well. So this is Marcus. He's age 50. He comes to the hospital with fever, fatigue, cough and dyspnea for four days. He's in the emergency department. And obviously, one of the first things they're going to do is a rapid lateral flow test, which is positive and an RT-PCR. COVID-19 was positive too. Now, he's been HIV for 15 years, and he started on ephedrine's TDFFTC about 12 years ago when his CD4 was 160 at baseline, and his viral load was high at 420,000 copies per mil. Now, for the last three years, he's been on dolutegravir plus TAF and FTC, had a bit of renal decline and some sleeplessness, so they switched him over, and he's been very happy on this regimen. He used to be a smoker, but he stopped two years ago, and he's got no comorbidities. He's a pretty fit 50-year-old, but now he's got COVID. His HIV laboratory tests show an HIV RNA that's undetectable at less than 20. His CD4 count currently is 480, but in the emergency department, his CRP is severely elevated, and he's got some lymphopenia. His temperature's raised at 38.6, and his pulse is 95. His blood pressure's at the upper end of normal, but his respiratory rate's 29. His SpO2 was 91% on room air, and the chest CT shows infiltrates consistent with COVID pneumonia with about 50% of his lung effective. So he's saying, has this COVID-19 affected me more because of my HIV status? And the truth about that is not quite 100% known. But what we do know is that most patients with HIV who have CD4 counts above 200, an undetectable viral load, have similar outcomes as those patients who have not got HIV when you match for age, comorbidities and everything else. So he can be reassured that the HIV status hasn't had a major impact on what's happened to him now. He then says, well, what about long haul COVID? Am I at risk of that? Well, as far as we know, it's probably independent of his HIV status, and it's much more related to the level of coronavirus RNA in the patient's blood, the presence of certain autoantibodies, whether you've had reactivation as well as EBV, and also it seems more common in type 2 diabetes. Some have shown associations with those who have asthma, at baseline in females, and also with various antibody abnormalities below IgM and having IgG3 antibodies. But we still are at a stage where we need to have more data to predict who's going to get long COVID. So Marcus asks, should I stay on my antiretroviral therapy? Well, the answer is yes, for several reasons. One is, if he stopped his antiretroviral therapy, he could get an acute HIV syndrome, and this would have an impact on his CD4 count. And COVID-19 itself has an impact on CD4 count. So his CD4 count could plummet if he stopped all his therapy. 
also it might confuse monitoring of his outcome because if he developed an acute antiretroviral syndrome, people really wouldn't know whether this could be a problem with his new therapies having, is he deteriorating, etc. So the recommendation is stay on your ARVs while you've got COVID-19 and been treated for it. So should Marcus be hospitalized? Well, he's got severe illness based on the criteria that we know. His SpO2 is less than 94% on room air, and he's got a respiratory rate of 29. It's usually more than 30, but he has got lung infiltrates of around 50%. So I would admit this patient to the hospital. And the treatment of COVID-19 in people with HIV is the same as that for people without HIV. So I would treat this Marcus exactly the same as someone who has not got HIV and he'd be given remdesivir and dexamethasone and obviously oxygen. And obviously, we'd just have to watch him very carefully as to whether or not he needs uh, high flow devices or a form of ventilation. In our next case, we're going to talk about a particular challenge, which is managing multi-drug resistant HIV. So John's age 56, and he's been HIV since 1992. He's been in it for the long term. He's got hypertension and some dyslipidemia, and he was incarcerated. He's now been in prison since 2019. His CD4 cell count was 135 cells, and his viral loads, 89,000 copies. And the rest of his lab values, apart from his lipids, were normal. He's HBV and HCV negative. Now, his concerns are, I've taken lots of HIV medications in the past. Have I run out of options? Can you do anything for me? So the important thing is that we'd had John's antiretroviral history. He'd had various drugs before 2009, but in 2009, he'd been given quite a complicated regimen of lopinavir, ritonavir, plus raltegravir, plus a travarine and infervitide, T20. But he couldn't take the infervitide. He got injection site reactions and stopped it. By 2015, he was viremic, and he was on, at that stage, darinavir, ritonavir, plus raltegravir, plus a travarine. So lapinavir had been switched to darinavir, but he's also had some recycled nucleosides. He had a resistance test, which showed resistance to all of the NRTIs and the NNRTIs. Interestingly, he had one darinavir mutation, but importantly, he developed the N155H to integrases, but he was still R5-tropic. So we switched to Arinavir BD now with Rutonavir, recycled the nukes with FTC TAF, was given Dolutegravir BD to try and overcome the N155H, and also Maraviroc BD. And this worked. He got suppression of his virus. By 2019, his CD4 cell count was 625, but his plasma viral load was oscillating between 400 up to 1,000. So what other things should we do in terms of testing? What are his goals? And how are we going to try and find a fully active antiretroviral regimen for him? And what about novel therapies? It's really important to know all about the full drug history and making sure if we've got resistance tests as well, that they're all documented. You also need to know whether or not he's got other drugs that might interact with anything you may give him or what he's on at the moment. And of course, you have to look at these barriers to adherence. He is incarcerated now, so there's an opportunity for him to have directly observed therapy. He may have issues with drug tolerability, and obviously psychosocial issues have to be addressed, which can be quite difficult as he's incarcerated.
we have to really think about other problems that he might have, especially in terms of his renal function, other co-infections, but he's fairly free of all of that at the moment. So the principle in constructing a new regimen is to use at least two, and if you can, three active drugs in the new regimen. And most new regimens will usually use one fully active protease inhibitor that's boosted. That can be difficult if you've got some resistance. And if you've got more than four mutations to Darinavir, usually Darinavir won't work very well. But if you have less than that, most people would use BD Darinavir. Alternatively, if you can construct a fully active regimen where darinavir is not useful, you might do that with a second generation integrase. But obviously, with John's history, he has got a mutation to integrase the N155H. New drugs may not be licensed, but may be available on compassionate use. Now, if he had a higher CD4 count, say it was three or 400 with a relatively low viral load, and you couldn't construct a regimen with at least two active drugs, you might just keep him on what he's on for a while until they were available. But because his CD4 count is low, you really have to think about maybe recycling some of the drugs or trying to find some new drugs. So new drugs, which might be available, ibolizumab and fostemzavir. He's had infervitide and had problems. And I would recheck his tropism because he was R5 tropic before. And maravarot might still be useful if he is. Although in these highly treatment experienced patients with virological failure, they tend to switch to X4. Dolutegravir twice a day may overcome the uh, resistance mutation we've seen. Twice a day, darunavir. You might think of uh, recycling the nucleosides, especially form of tenofovir and 3TC or FTC. I don't think any of the non-nucleosides with his pan-non-nucleoside resistance would be much used to add in here. And obviously, he really needs a lot of follow-up, not only by the laboratory, but personally, he's got to have some motivation while he's in prison to continue on this and to try and get him undetectable. I think most of the uh, way that we'll help John would really be to set up a very good therapeutic relationship with him, gain his confidence, and try and make him understand that whatever we're going to give him is given the best chance to get him undetectable and to improve his health. With a low CD4 and a high viral load like that, obviously cotramoxifol would need to be given to him. In our next case, we'll explore options for managing HIV in pregnancy. So for our fifth and final case, we're going to consider options for managing HIV in pregnancy. So we have Jenny, she's 28 years old, and she's been HIV positive for five years now. And she started therapy straight away with ephedrine, FTC and TDF. And she was very happy on that. Her BMI is a little high at 29. Her HIV RNA is undetectable. And her CD4 cell count 690. She got excellent adherence. She had no resistance at baseline with wild type. Now, she comes and says, how can I avoid transmitting HIV to my baby? What antiretroviral is safe to take? If I switch, I don't want to gain too much weight. So you've got lots of issues going on that we have to address. So transmission during pregnancy. Data over 8,000 non-breastfeeding mothers showed that if you actually started antiretrovirals before conception and were undetectable, there was no transmission. So the best situation is to start your antiretrovirals and become undetectable before you conceive. Now, what about weight gain? Well, integrators have been associated with some weight gain, as has TAF, although TAF hasn't been looked at as well in pregnancy. And in fact, the weight gain that mothers have 
on dolutegravir TAF FTC is around the recommended weight gain for somebody in pregnancy. What it appears to be is that if you take TDF or a Feverent or a combination of both, it suppresses your weight a little. And that may be an issue because normal weight gain in pregnancy is associated with healthier babies and low weight gain in pregnancy is associated with more significant adverse outcomes. So actually putting women on something that doesn't suppress their weight and gives them a normal weight gain is better for them and the baby. So I think the weight gain that we see with switching women from ephedrine to integrase during pregnancy is a normal weight gain and not abnormal. There also has been another study suggesting ephedrine seems to cause more growth retardation compared with other therapies. So I think one of the interesting things here is that not only does ephedrine prevent a normal weight gain, but it also has an impact on the infant, and they may be both related, these two issues. People were concerned about birth defects with dolutegravir, but the data now is that the neural tube defects risk is approaching that of women who are not on dolutegravir and not on ephedrine. On the other integrases, there's really not enough data, but it looks like they're very safe in terms of birth defects compared with all the other drugs we give pregnant women. So in the end, many guidelines now have said that dolutegravir is recommended as a preferred antiretroviral drug throughout pregnancy and in women who are trying to conceive. So we go back to her issues. Does she need to discontinue ephedrine? I would say yes, because of the growth issues. Are long-acting injections an option? Well, not until we have more data. Although if she was on a long-acting and got pregnant, she should have the option to remain on the long-acting injectable and be followed on. The approach to switching her regimen away from ephedrine is to try and explain this in detail and reassure her about the benefits of switching those would be the next steps that I would do with her and then follow her and monitor her through because any switch of therapy, some side effects, minor ones may occur and you've just got to make sure she gets through those and gets stabilized on the new treatment. I hope you found this discussion useful. Thank you so much for your attention. This has been an activity published by Pure Voice.